Complete in thee, no work of mine may take, dear Lord, the place of thine. Thy blood hath pardoned bought for me, and I am now complete in thee. Yea, justified, O oh, blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Complete in thee, no more shall sin. Thy grace hath conquered reign within. Thy voice shall bid the tempter flee, and I shall stand complete in thee. Dear Savior, when before thy bar all tribes and tongues assembled are, among the chosen will I be, at thy right hand complete in thee. Yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought, Thy blood hath pardoned bought for me and glorified I too shall be. Go ahead and uh, dismiss the kids ages four years old through fourth grade. Four years old through fourth grade. Well, they're heading out. You might as well turn to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. Um, I'm not going to give you a specific passage yet. Today's sermon will be strictly te- uh, topical. Okay, So we'll be bouncing around throughout the book of Proverbs today. <clears throat> we have had missions month this past month, so I feel like there's been so many messages I haven't gotten to preach. Okay? In fact, this message was prepared for last Sunday night, because I forgot David was preaching. So I had this one ready, and, and then I remembered, oh, we got youth night. I don't get to preach this message. So it's this morning. We've been preaching in the evening services again through a series on the home, uh, marriage, and raising families. And we're t- today we're going to talk about the topic of communication. Okay? I am convinced that one of the biggest struggles that people face in their marriages is the issue of communication. A good marriage rises and falls on how well a husband and a wife communicate with one another. Now, normally, when a couple first gets married, it's natural that they struggle with communication because they don't really know each other that well. They're not that comfortable with each other pouring their hearts out to their, to their spouse. Maybe the women are, I don't know. But um, it's, it's a learning process that takes time to become better at communicating between a husband and a wife. But there is, also, there is also a situation where maybe a marriage starts out good and they had good communication skills, but over time they started drifting off. Have you ever heard of couples who they just don't talk to each other anymore? 
They, they go about their daily routine. They're doing all the things that they need to do, but they never, they never communicate one to another. And so you can start off well and you can, and you can drift into disrepair in this area of your marriage. And I think there are many reasons why people don't tend to communicate. Sometimes they're unintentional reasons. Sometimes they're very intentional reasons. One of them is that we think we have communicated because we've given the basic information. I'm going to the store. Bye. Okay. You know, so, and that's all that we communicate. That's, that, that's the extent. We give the bare bones facts, and so we think we have communicated. Your spouse doesn't just need to know when to pick up the kids, okay? They need to know what your struggles are. They need to know how you truly feel about a situation. Like, we run into this all the time as husbands, right? Can you empathize with me when you, when you ask your wife, what do you want for dinner? And what, what is her answer usually? I don't know, honey, whatever you pick, right? Okay, so, or where do you want to go for dinner? Husbands, we really want to know what the wife feels about the choice for dinner. But the wife usually doesn't tell us that information, okay? So, but you need, if you, if you have a preference, you need to tell them, okay? But sometimes we think we've communicated because we just give basic information. Sometimes we think we've, we, that we don't need to communicate because they should just know what I'm thinking, Right? Like your husband says, that dress doesn't look good on you today, okay? And you're thinking, why would he say that to me? Your husband's thinking, well, she wants me to tell her what, she, what I think of her clothes, and you're thinking why, that he shouldn't be so insulting, right? And so you, ex- you, expect, you expect him to meet your, your expectations that you haven't communicated to him. And, and women, I just want to let you know this, men are really oblivious, you have to spell things out for us, okay? We need to know what's on your mind. Don't, don't erect these, these expectations in your head and then punish us when we don't meet them if you've never communicated them to us. Uh, when I go through uh, premarital counseling, sorry, what did Luke say? Uh, was it Nathan? It was David. I didn't hear it. Okay, <laughs> so all I heard was this laughing. So what was it, David? <laughs> That's right, okay, so, okay. But one of the biggest things that we go over in premarital counseling, when you're working with a couple, if you've got good premarital counseling, is to expose what those unspoken expectations are in marriage. Everybody has them. Everybody has expectations that they assume this is just how life is. And so we don't feel like we should have to tell people because it's obvious to us, right? And, and so we don't communicate those expectations to us. And one thing I learned working at Chick-fil-A is this. Uh, expectations minus reality equals frustration, okay? When you have expectations that are so high and you don't communicate them and the reality doesn't measure up to that, what are you left with? Frustration. And that's what your marriages will be like when you have uncommunicated, unrealistic expectations. You will be frustrated. Sometimes couples don't communicate because of a lack of trust, Maybe he, the, the person you're married to or the wife you're married to, I need to stop saying he, we're, we're slanting this one direction. We need to go the other way here, okay? Maybe, maybe your husband or your wife is toxic in their relationship and they use that information against you. They use it as a weapon. And so there is a lack of trust and so you feel like you can't tell them anything because they're just going to use it against me. Uh, tied to that is this feeling of vulnerability. Sometimes couples don't communicate because they have been hurt in the past, and they don't want to open up to potentially be hurt again. There might be a fear of their response. Uh, She'll get angry if I tell her how I feel about this, or 
Um, he, he's not going to be happy about this thing that, that has happened. And it becomes an issue of self-preservation at that time. But in a healthy marriage, you really shouldn't need to feel this, this need to preserve yourself. That a healthy marriage should be safe and should be secure. But sometimes people come with all kinds of baggage and it keeps them from communicating. One of the biggest reasons I think communication doesn't occur is because some people just aren't talkers. How many of you can empathize with this? I'm just not a talker. Okay, Pastor Carsey's, you don't count. No. Okay, so some people like to talk. And that and that is good. That is good. That's how God has wired them. But some people just don't talk, right? So communicating with their husband or their wife is something they don't even think to do. But marriages thrive on communication. They will not survive without it. It will die without communication. Now, today I'm going to be preaching a message called Nine Principles on Good Communication in Marriage. Now, I can get through nine principles in one message, hopefully. Okay, so hopefully. Um, but these principles, they can apply to more than just marriage. So if you're thinking, I'm not married, I don't need this message, and you're, you're tempted to check out, don't do that. All of these principles are general principles. I'm just applying them to the issue of marriage today. We're going to fo focus on on the topic of communication within marriage. Nine principles of good communication in marriage. So the first principle we're going to look at is found in Proverbs 18, verse number 21. Proverbs 18, verse 21. This is the verse that I read for the scripture reading today. <clears throat> Proverbs 18, verse 21. Now when you're preaching through the book of Proverbs, uh, most of the verses don't di directly tie to each other, right? It's very hard to find a context to verses because they are just Proverbs. There are some lengthier pieces of text in the book of Proverbs, but most of the time it's verses that stand alone on their own. So we're going to develop principles that we need to look at when we are evaluating the type of communication that we have within our marriage. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says, <clears throat> sorry I'm in chapter 19, 18 verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Okay, the principle here is the principle of life. When you speak, the words that you choose to use, they can either bring death or they can bring life into the other person, into the relationship. And we need to be conscious of the effect that our words have on people and on our relationship. So the tongue can either destroy or it can grow and it can give life. Your words are not neutral. Okay, we think of a lot of things we, as neutral, like television is neutral, um, uh, drinking soda, no, sorry, is not neutral. Okay, That's, I'm looking at Mr. Tillman there. No, but uh, food is neutral, right? But you have these general categories of things that are neutral, but your words are not neutral. They have a positive or they have a negative effect, okay? They and they will have an influence on your marriage. In the heat of passion... Words of destruction can easily escape our lips. Words that destroy, wor words that tear down, that hurt. I think of words of death like, like these phrases. You're worthless, okay? Probably more likely to say that to your children than to your wife, but uh, I, I have heard these things. You are worthless. Or, husbands, have you ever said this to your wife? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, okay? Like, and it may not be those exact words. It might be, you're stupid or you're crazy. Have you, ever heard, have you ever said that? You're crazy to think the way that you are thinking. Those phrases are words of death. They are not growing. They are not benefiting the relationship. They are tearing 
down the relationship. I put in here a, a concept of gaslighting. I don't know if you know what that word means. I didn't know about what it meant for a long time. But the classic illustration of what gaslighting is comes from an Ingrid Bergman movie, which I did watch a long time ago because all I ever watched was black and white movies growing up. Okay, it's an old black and white movie. But this, the Ingrid Bergman goes to another country. She marries this guy, and they move back to England. But the whole time, he is doing things behind the scene in the house, like turning down the gas to the lights. Okay, that's why it's gaslighting. To make her think that she is crazy. Okay, that's, that's gaslighting. That is a toxic form of communication. We slip into it pretty easily, though, when we say things like, you're just imagining things, right? We devalue their opinion. We act like their opinion is crazy, like it doesn't matter, like it, it's so far-fetched, it couldn't be true, and we don't give it the credence that we should. So we can speak words of death, but we need to be speaking words of life like encouraging words. You can do this. I know it's hard, but I'm here for you if you need me. Things like that. Or words of love. How many times do you tell your wife you love her? Or wives, do you tell your husband you love you? It is not an excuse to say that's not how I was raised. That's not what our family did. We just didn't tell each other we loved each other growing up. Okay? You have to communicate these things. I read of one example where a husband knew his wife was, was not very organized, okay? So he wrote her a list of things to do, and he called throughout the day to make sure she was getting them done every single day, and then he would criticize her. Pastor Carson's like, this is a good idea. No, no I'm just easy. <laughs> I'm, lo I'm looking at your facial expressions, and I'm trying to read them over here, okay? But he would call her to check up on her and make sure she got them done, and if she didn't, he would criticize her for her laziness, but that is, in essence, he was using his words as an attack, as, as, as a means of death. He wasn't encouraging her to help her be more organized. He was using his words to tear her down. Words are like seeds. When you plant a seed, let's say I got a watermelon seed. My kids have been trying to plant watermelons in the backyard for years, and I keep mowing them over. Okay, that's why Bella's giving me faces right now. So. But when you plant a seed, what do you get? If I plant a watermelon seed, what am I going to get? Watermelons, okay? You can plant seeds of death or you can plant seeds of life. The words that you use are those seeds. You plant them in the life of your spouse. You're going to reap whatever it is that you put in there. Once, they, once you plant them, they can either bloom into a beautiful flower or they can grow weeds, okay? So the first principle is the principle of life. We need to be speaking things that are encouraging, uplifting, that help and edify and build up our spouses, Second principle is found in Proverbs 15, verse number 1. Proverbs 15, verse number 1. <clears throat> this is called the principle of response. The principle of response. Verse 1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. When you have a conversation... In order for a conversation to actually occur, for communication to occur, there have to be two people, right? Okay? So th th this is an important principle for, for, to understand this, this role here, this principle of response. You need to understand that in order for communication to occur, there have to be two people. You might think that the tone of the conversation is set by the first person who speaks. That would be natural, right? To think the person who initiates the conversation sets the tone 
for the rest of that conversation. So if I come at you angry and combative, the conversation is going to be most likely angry and combative. Okay, but this principle here in Proverbs 15 verse 1 says that's not actually the truth. The person who sets the tone for the conversation is not the first person who talks. It's the person who responds. A soft answer does what? Turns away wrath. It changes the tone of that conversation. How we respond. This is why it's so necessary for us to be walking spirit to be able to respond even when we are attacked think of the example of jesus when he was reviled what did he do he reviled not again that's a supernatural response right there but the second person in the conversation sets the tone for the conversation a conversation means two people are talking and so that conversation hasn't happened until the response has occurred so how you respond can determine the direction that conversation as is going to go. And so you need to think, how am I responding to this statement? How am I responding to this situation? Do I respond by arguing? When somebody says, you never pick up your socks off the floor, what's your response? That's automatically a, a heated accusation, right? Okay, the tone could be very bad from just that one statement. But how do you respond? That can change the entire conversation. If you say, and you never uh, clean up your, your uh, crumbs off the counter. Okay, what have you just done? You've furthered an argument. You've created a fire. You've created a fight in the conversation. So the second person determines the, the tone of the conversation. Or you could respond by ignoring it. Okay, ignoring what they, what they have to say. But that actually makes it worse. A lot of times we pretend like ignoring fixes the problem. I'm just going to accept it and move on, right? Have you ever heard that? Okay. But honestly, that is not the best way to handle those situations in most cases. Because you're ignoring it. If, if you're going to bottle it up, what's eventually going to happen? It's going to come out, okay? So that, that's one reason why that's wrong. But secondly, you're devaluing their feelings and their thoughts. You're pretending like they don't matter. Your response is important. You can argue, you can ignore, you could, you could respond by attacking, which means to put them on the defensive, turning, turning the whole situation around. But none of these responses promote healthy communication with other people and with our spouses. We oftentimes are like porcupines. When we're under attack, what do we do? We, I don't know, do porcupines go into a ball? They huddle up and they put out their spikes and, and they're in this defensive position. We bristle with our quills and at the end of each quill is a sharp barb or a hook that sticks into the other person. So the natural response when we are attacked is to attack in kind. But a gentle, loving, merciful response can diffuse the, the, the situation. So that you have the principle of life. Speak things that benefit, that edify your spouse. But you also have the principle of response. The person who responds is the one who sets the tone for the conversation. Third principle is found in Proverbs 15, verse 23. This is the principle of timing. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. There is a right time and a wrong time for everything. 
Um, the wrong time to go to sleep would be right now. Luke, wake up. No, I'm just teasing. Okay, so the wrong time, there is a wrong time for things, and there is a right time for things. Nine o'clock tonight, when you're getting ready to go to bed, that's the time to go to sleep, not in church, okay? But there is a right time to say something, and a wrong time to say something. There, it, a word spoken in due season, how good it is. At the right, the proper moments. It is probably the wrong time to ask your husband to go do something right when he walks through the door. Husbands, can you relate to this? You've been working all day long, and you walk in the door, and your wife says, I need the trash taken out, <laughs> okay, right, right away as you're, as you're walking in the door. That's probably the wrong, wrong time to ask, or to, to ask him to do that. Men don't like to be rushed from one thing to the next, and he probably would like a chance to relax and have a second. Chris is looking at me like, yes, I relate to this, okay. So... <laughs> There is a time to say things. It's probably the wrong time to have a possibly heated discussion or something you know is going to set your spouse off right there in front of the kids, right? That's not the right time to have this discussion. Kids don't need to see all that. And it, it easily can create favoritism in your kids because now they're listening to the argument and they're picking sides. Who's going to win this debate? Who's right in this debate? It also uh, makes them afraid that mom and dad might be ending this thing called marriage because they see the heated argument right there in front of them and they feel that that marriage is not going to last. It's probably the not the right time to say something negative about your spouse right in front of their friends. When, uh, if your wife uh, is always late and you're talking with a bunch of group of people out in the foyer. How many times have we done this? And we start talking about how my wife is always late. And, we, and in front of them, in front of all their friends, what does that cause? What does that create? It creates shame. You know, it, and it's destructive. It's just tearing down that relationship. It's not the right time. If you really have a problem with them being late, deal with that at home. Do talk about it, but deal with it at home. Not there right in front of everybody else. Here are some practical suggestions about the timing of conversation. Try not to have potentially heated conversations before bed. This is bad for your marriage. It's bad for physical intimacy to have those conversations at that, that time. If you need to talk about something when the kids are present, whisper in your spouse's ear, can we talk about this in the bedroom and go behind closed doors to have that discussion. Or you could do what Jim and Tanny do. We'll get in a car and we'll drive out into the country, right? So that's, that's a good option as well. You know, you're getting away, so getting away from everything. Make plans to go on dates to talk through some thing, some important issues. I, I, honestly, we, we are so good at dating our spouses before we get married, right? Um, we, go, we go on dates to make sure we get to know them and spend time with them because we're, we're enthralled with the emotional aspect of the relationship. But what happens when we get married? What happened to the dates? Where'd they go? They just evaporated. Poof, they're gone. Okay, so we got our wife, we got our husband, no need to go on dates anymore. But honestly, date times are very important to your relationship as a husband and, and a wife. Uh, I would recommend, if at all possible, weekly dates. If your spouse has had a bad day, try to wait till later to talk about things. But then I put in here, don't bottle up inside and ignore talking about the issues. The time to talk about things that constantly bother you is never, never, okay? You understand what I'm saying? The answer is never to never talk about it. 
That's not the answer. If it is constantly bothering you, constantly coming up, what you are doing is you are bottling it up. It is becoming bitterness inside of your heart. And that out of the treasures of the heart, the mouth speaketh. There will come a day when you will speak, and it will not be the things that you wanted to say because you bottled it up. Eventually, you're going to explode when you don't want it to. So we have the principle of life, the principle of timing, and we have the principle of response. The fourth principle here is the principle of listening. Proverbs 18, verse 13. Proverbs 18, verse 13. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Listen before you talk. Find out what is truly going on. Uh, men, we're not very good at this. A lot of times we hear our wife talk about a situation and we think she wants us to fix it and she's really just venting. And so we jump into fix-it mode. Bob the Builder type guy, okay, I'm going to fix it, okay? So we jump into this mode that we have to fix all the problems. And we don't sit there and we don't actually listen to, to hear their heart and to hear what's actually going on. We assume we know the issue before we've heard the whole thing. I've, I've done this with my kids. One of the kids comes in and starts saying, uh, so-and-so did this to me. And I hear that first thing and I start kicking into, I'm going to fix this mode. And so I'm going to deal with that first thing. But then as the conversation goes, the other person says, but so-and-so did this to me first. Oh, well, now I've got another layer to this problem that I didn't know about because I didn't listen. And if I jump on that first problem and respond to that first problem, I'm going to be unjust in my parenting, right? And in our marriages, we can be the same way where we don't listen to the whole thing. We jump on what we first hear. Sometimes we don't listen because we aren't really interested. So how do we manifest that? We split our attention between the conversation and something else. I don't have my phone on me, but if I did, this thing right here would be the worst thing possible to your marriage. Because these things, from men and women both, distract and destroy communication. We sit there and we look at our phones and we flip through Facebook while we're trying to have a conversation. Or while our spouse is waiting there to talk to us. And it's not healthy, it's not good for our marriages. We need to practice the art of listening to our husbands and to our wives. Don't answer a matter before you've heard the whole thing. Listen. Tips for listening in. Uh, lean in. Remove all distractions. Maintain eye contact. Wives, if your husband's not looking at you, he's probably not listening to you. He's probably thinking and looking at something else. Okay. But if you really want to listen, this, this is going to be important. We'll talk about this more in a second as well. Ask questions. Show interest in the conversation by asking questions questions okay so the principle of listening second one is the principle of thinking proverbs 15 verse 28 proverbs 15 verse 28 the heart of the righteous studieth to answer but the mouth of the wicked pour out evil things so he's contrary Righteous and the wicked. The righteous man, what does he do? He studies to answer. But the wicked, what does he do? He just pours out evil things. It just gushes out of his mouth uncontrollably, un, un, unthought about. He doesn't think about what he is saying. But the, the righteous person, he studies to answer. He studies. He thinks about it intently. He looks at it from different angles. When you, when you think of studying for a chemistry test, okay? 
Do you just read the textbook one time and then put it away? Maybe if you were me, but no. Okay, so, um, but most of us, it takes a lot more effort to study something. You put intention into it. You put effort into it. You work the thoughts into your mind. You ingrain them into your heart. And you look at them from different angles to help you comprehend them more. And so a righteous man studies to answer. He thinks about what he is going to say before he says it. Don't just respond to what you think they are but actually think about what they are saying. Ask yourself some questions. Why do they think this? Why do they feel this way about the issue? How should I respond that will help the situation? What do they actually mean by what they are saying? Okay, men and women, we, we know this. Men and women are different. Men look through blue glasses. Women look through pink glasses. And men, just because pink glasses might look cool, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to see the same way the women do putting them on, okay? So you can't look at the world through a woman's glasses and understand her perspective, okay? It just, it isn't going to happen. But you need to ask yourself, why, what do they actually mean by what they are saying? Understand what they are trying to say, not what you think they are trying to say. Does this, and ask, ask yourself this as well, does this make sense with everything else that I have ever heard them say? We can oftentimes respond violently even to something we think was said wrongly because we don't understand and we haven't thought about everything else that we know about that person. We haven't taken this one comment in context of everything else they have ever said or in the context of what we know about this person. Like if Kate were to come up to me and say, uh, I hate you, you're ugly, and, and I wish you were got rolled, run over by a car, okay, or if I heard her say these words, would I think that that would be normal for Kate? No, I would not, okay? So Kate would not say those words, right? <laughs> if she did, something else is going on, right? And, that, and I should take into account what I know about her when I am communicating with her. There may be a bad moment when your spouse says something that, it, that is hard, that is harsh, that is cruel, because of all kinds of different factors that could be playing in their, the way their work day went, or um, they, maybe they're feeling attacked and they responded wrongly. And when we, when we hear these things, rather than just respond to what the words say and sound like, we need to understand the context of the person we are dealing with. What is the heart of this person in what they are saying? Don't just jump to conclusions and react on single statements. We need to interpret the statements not through our own lens, but through their lens. So the principle of thinking. We're going to turn to one passage outside the book of Proverbs. That's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. For the next principle. The next principle is the principle of love. Ephesians 4.15. says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. This is, this is a command. This is what we are expected to do for all Christians, for all, all believers in the body of Christ. We are to speak the truth, not denying the truth, but we are to speak it in love. This applies not just, though, to my brothers and sisters in Christ. This also applies to my husband and my wife, especially 
if they are Christians. I am to speak the truth in love. If I love somebody, I'm going to treat them in the right way. And I think this, this really challenges us to do two things. First of all, speak the truth. Don't ignore the facts. Don't jump to falsehoods. We'll talk, we'll talk about that in a second. But also we are to speak the truth in love, but deal with the situation in a loving way. We have to ask ourselves, is my response all about me, selfishness, or does it come from love for the other person? The, the way that I am responding, is it out of love or is it out of selfishness? We can have reactionary, defensive responses, but those are all about protecting myself and not about loving the other person. Love changes the content of our communication. Love will often change what I thought I was going to say. I may have come in and intended to say something that was hard and cruel and harsh, but then I stopped and I evaluated my relationship with that person and the love that we have, and it changes the, what I thought I was going to say. Instead of attacking because I'm angry, I lovingly say, I wish you wouldn't treat me that way. It changes the content. Love changes the tone of our communication. Instead of yelling back, I will be gentler in my tone, understanding, and I will be forgiving when I am loving. Love also changes the result of our communication. There have, many there have been many times when I wanted to say, to tell somebody exactly what I thought about their problem because it was an inconvenience to me. Selfishness, right? Okay, because it was an inconvenience to me. But when I went in, after having stopped to calm down in love, I was able to deal with that situation in a way where I didn't blow up, okay? And where, that, where the situation didn't blow up in my face. The, result, the situation was resolved peacefully and properly. So love can change the content, the tone, and the result of our communication. Back in Proverbs, chapter number 12. <clears throat> I know this is kind of like a shotgun message, but we need it all. <laughs> so, Proverbs chapter number 12, verse number 17. He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. In marriage, it is easily, easy to exaggerate problems, Right? or to become blinded by our emotion. We often make statements like, you always do this, or you never do this. I'm trying to teach my kids a lesson lately, that whenever the word always shows up in their conversation, they're probably lying, because it is an exaggeration. It is not, it is not the complete truth. When you add in words like always and never, you are being blinded by your emotions and you are not speaking the truth. So we need to make sure that what we say aligns with what is true. No one is always bad, and no one is, sorry, no one is always, is always bad and never good, except maybe Adolf Hitler, okay? But for the rest of us in-betweeners, we need to be more courteous towards other people. The problem with absolutes like these statements is that focusing on them blinds us to everything good that that person has done or has brought to the marriage. We forget the good moments. In the bad times, we forget the good moments. And, th and that is not dwelling on the truth. It is l focusing on one negative aspect of our relationship and blowing it out of proportion. 
<clears throat> maybe you say something like, he never takes the trash out. Maybe he does struggle with that. Maybe he doesn't take the trash out like he should. But it's only a partial picture of who he is. Have you forgotten that maybe he's the guy who tells you he loves you every night? Not every husband does that. Maybe he's the guy who um, makes sure that everything is taken care of you he, for you. He, he makes sure the gas is in the car. He buys you flowers on your anniversary. He faithfully works to provide for the kids. Um, wives, <clears throat> have you, ha, maybe you've forgotten that your wife is the one who makes sure your uniform is ready every day. She cooks dinner for you, cleans the house, makes sure everything is taken care of you. And sometimes we forget all of the good things that are in our marriages because of the one bad thing. And focusing on that one bad thing is not the truth. It, is, it, it will blind us to the truth of our relationship. We can become blind to everything else that is good about the person because we only see what is bad. Obviously, some people are better than others. But communication breaks down when we can't see anything good in the other person. So the next principle is found in Proverbs 6, verses 2 through 3. Proverbs 6, verses 2 through 3. This is the principle of confession. Proverbs 6, verses 2 through 3. Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son. Deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend... Go, humble thyself, and make sure thy friend. You can continue on. Those verses actually do tie together a little bit here. But the issue here is thou art taken with the words of your mouth. You are captured by the words of your mouth. You've said something you should, shouldn't have said, and now you are in bondage because of it. And he tells them, do this, my son. Deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend. Go, humble thyself, and make sure thy friend. Be willing to admit when you have messed up. Be willing to say, I did wrong. I was wrong in what I said. I was not loving in the way that I acted towards you earlier. Admit it. It's the only way to restore relationships. That's a form of communication is confession. You are saying, you are agreeing with them that you were wrong. Men especially struggle with this area. They struggle with admitting their faults. They'll buy roses, or they'll do something nice to show they're sorry, but they will never say the words, I was wrong. And that doesn't make up for it. <clears throat> I think of uh, oftentimes the way we interact with our kids as well. This is in marriage, this is kids here. But um, with our kids, we think we're above them. And so when we've yelled at them in, a, in an ungodly way, we've treated them in a way that we shouldn't have, we pretend like we don't need to confess and apologize to them because I'm the dad, they're the kid. But that's not how things work. If you've done wrong, you have an obligation to confess your wrong and to make it right. Be willing to admit when you've, when you've messed up. Say the words. And the reason we don't do this is because we are proud. Notice he says, humble thyself. Humble yourself before your wife and your kids, before your husband. And admit when you have done wrong. Humility disarms the attacks, really. Imagine this scenario. Your wife is angry because you were late getting home for dinner. And you didn't call. And now the food is cold sitting on the table. She knows you don't like cold food. 
and she's anticipating you getting angry because the food's cold. The kids have been waiting for hours to eat, and everybody is grumpy, okay? When you walk in the door, you could come in and you could start attacking and say, why is this food cold? You should just have it all ready for me at any moment that I walk in the door. Unrealistic expectations, by the way, okay? So you can respond in this way. But let's imagine you come in and you're willing to admit that you messed up. And you tell her, hey, honey, I'm sorry. I should have called. It's my fault. And I should have let you know that I was going to be late. This solves the situation. She's no longer attacking you. You're no longer attacking her. Confession is important in our communication. Admit when you have done wrong. Next one is in Proverbs 25, verse number 2. Proverbs 25, verse number 2. Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Now, if you want to find information out, what do you have to do? You got to ask questions. The glory of kings is to search out a matter, to ask questions, to find out the truth behind something. And there's a principle here that if we want to have God's wisdom, we want to have, we want to have good relationships, we want to communicate, we need to ask questions. Think about the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. I think I read, a, I read a statistic that said he asked, what, 56 questions in the time of the, four, of the Gospels that we have recorded, three years worth. But oftentimes when Jesus was attacked, how did he respond? With a question. When he wanted somebody to think about something deeper, how did, well, how did he do that? He would ask them a question, right? We need to develop the skill of asking questions in our marriages, to communicate. Questions show interest in what the other person thinks and has to say. If I want to buy a brand new car and, uh, if I, and, I, and I want to know what kind of car my wife would like, how am I going to find that information out? I've got to ask her. You've got to ask questions. Okay? Otherwise, it's gonna, that information is going to be locked inside of her head and you're not going to get it. But asking questions shows that I value her opinion. I value her input. Maybe she hates red cars. I do too, okay? But maybe she hates red cars, and I go out and buy a red Ferrari. Okay, is she going to be too happy? No. I didn't show any interest about her opinions because I didn't ask any questions. I just made the decision all on my own unilaterally and left her out of it. But these types of situations involve husband and wife. We're both going to be in that car. We're both going to be driving it. We're both going to be seen in it. Um, people are going to see it in the, part, in the driveway, okay? You know, it, it, it affects both of us. Questions show interest, but they also help you determine what the person means. You want to you know what, what they meant by what they said, you've got to ask questions, follow-up questions to decide that. And also, questions show us how they feel about what is being said. Okay, here's the actual, here's the actual uh, stat on how many questions Jesus asked. I was way under. Jesus recorded, uh, in the Gospels, there is recorded that Jesus asked 307 questions, okay? That's a big difference, okay? So that, that, sh that should impress upon us the importance of questions in our communication. Questions dig deeper. Deeper relationships can be discovered by questions. 
Most interactions that you and I have with other people are surface level only. We merely talk about the weather, or the sports team, or the golf game, or what they did for the week. We'll ask questions like, how are you? And then we get an answer, and what do we do? That's the end of the conversation. That line of conversation has ended by the answer to how are you. If you want to have a deeper, more meaningful relationship with somebody, you need to ask, keep asking questions. Okay, in, um, in relationships, they talk about different layers of, of communication. And all those layers are dug into deeper by asking questions. So here's an example, okay? If I went up to Jeff and said, how, how was work this week? Jeff may respond, it was all right, but my boss really works us hard, okay? I could change the conversation, go on to something different, and it, sometimes that may be what's necessary. But if I want to develop a deeper relationship with Jeff, I can't just stop there. My follow-up question would be, what does your boss do that makes it really hard for you at work? Okay? See how that's deeper than the first conversation? I've dug one layer deeper into the communication by asking a question. And then from there, if he answers, well, he's constantly yelling at us at work okay, to work faster. And then if I ask, how does that make you feel about working for this type of a boss? And then he answers, I feel like he doesn't appreciate me and only cares about numbers, okay? That, the, asking those questions has dug deeper into the conversation. By the end of that interaction, what do I know about Jeff? I know about what his work life is like, yeah, okay. But I also know that he does not feel valued in his workplace. I know something about the struggle of his heart and the situation that he is going through. And I can be there to help encourage and to, and to uplift him. And in marriage, you really need that. You need to be able to help your wife. You need to dig down into the deeper levels of conversations. Don't just get the basic information, okay? Consider asking questions like this. How are you encouraged in your faith and life right now? Husbands, do you know, wives, do you know where your spouse is spiritually? Have you talked about it? How are you encouraged in your faith and life right now? How are you discouraged? What are the things that are a struggle for you right now? How can I grow as a husband, a father, and a Christian? This shows you value her input on what you should be doing as a husband and a spouse and a father. What was the last thing I did for you that you really enjoyed? This question helps pinpoint things that your wife really appreciates. Some of you wives, you may appreciate a brand new vacuum cleaner. Others may appreciate a trip to the Bahamas. Okay, If you ask this question as a husband, you're going to know, my wife doesn't appreciate the vacuum cleaner. She'd really like the trip to the Bahamas, right? Okay, I've never been there, but <laughs> so, you got to learn your wife. Not everybody interprets love and, and, and appreciates the same things. Uh, another question, when was a time that you felt that I listened to you really well? Okay, why would you ask that question? You'd ask that question because it's a model for you to follow in the future on how to listen to your wife, okay? Here's one. What could we do to be an even better team? God has called you as a husband and a wife to be partners working together in this thing called life, marriage, raising kids. You're partners. So ask your spouse, what could we do to be an even better team, to work beside each other? I cannot stress the importance in the issue of marriage, of communication. Communication is a solid foundation to any good marriage. 
here's the question that I really want to ask you tonight or today. Are you satisfied with where your marriage is today? Every single one of us could grow in our marriage. But are you satisfied with that? Are you satisfied with the level of communication that you and your spouse have? If you're honest, you'll know that we need to grow in this area. And none of that growth can occur, none of it can occur without communication. If your engine has a problem, how do you know that it has a problem? Any of you guys work on cars? Anybody? No? Maybe? No, nobody, nobody raised their hands. Okay. So if your engine has a car, has, if your engine has a problem, if you're like most of us, you know it has a problem because of that little orange light on the dashboard, the check engine light, right? Some people who know their engines really well can pick up on the sound of the engine and tell that there's something wrong with this car, right? Okay. Those are both forms of communication. The car is telling you, I'm broken, fix me, right? It is communicating something to you. The only way you're going to know to fix your car is if it communicates to you that there is a problem through the check engine light or through the sounds that it is making. <clears throat> Without communication, your marriage might be dead and you don't even know it because you're not listening to the check engine light on that marriage. If you're going to find out what the problems are and fix them, we must communicate with one another. If, any, if our marriages are ever going to grow and become what God wants them to be, we have to communicate. We have to communicate. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll have a time of invitation this morning. Now, all this I've said towards marriage, but think about this as well. If you're not married, you interact with people every single day. Every single one of these principles applies to every communication problem that we face. Whether it's with friends, whether it's with bosses, whether it's with coworkers, 